The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Tax Day. The Selective Service System. Posted speed limits. Non-discrimination laws and regulations. The use of federal dollars to pay for abortions. Zoning regulations and building permits, school shutdowns, pandemic responses and lockdowns, the transfer of power from one presidential administration to another administration. These are all examples of how the government is involved in our life, the role government plays in our life. I um, you know, thought, Valentine's Day, what can I preach on on Valentine's Day? Let's, let's talk about the government on Valentine's Day. Now, for, and some of these are more serious than others, and some of them are more controversial than others. And if I were to conduct just an informal survey amongst you, which I'm not going to do, but if I were to do so, I'm sure I would get some very animated responses about your feelings of some of these issues. But I wonder if you've ever considered, what, what does the Bible have to say about our relationship to governing authorities. I hope you have, but even if you haven't, that's really, it is the focus of our message today. It's where we find ourselves in Romans today. And given all of the political unrest that exists in our country right now, I think it's good and proper that in the providence of God, we've come to this passage today. And so, and for the record, I began planning this sermon series through the book of Romans uh, long before there was any governmental uh, pandemic lockdowns. For that matter, long before anybody had even heard of COVID-19, this sermon series had already been planned. Um, I was planning this series long before uh, there were riots in any of our cities and long before Joe Biden was even named the Democratic nominee. And my point in saying all that is this, is that this sermon today, the sermon series and the sermon in particular today, it's not, it's not a response, so to speak, to what is happening to our current state of affairs, but I believe again that God in his providence has led us today, and I hope for such a time as this, to really address and to understand what our role is as Christians in response uh, uh, to, the, to the government. And so I hope the sermon today is going to help shape your hearts and shape your soul, shape your mind to the biblical role that government plays in our lives. So without any further ado, let's read verses 1 through 7 from Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, Paul writes these words. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur, incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive 
His approval. For He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For He does not bear the sword in vain. For He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this time together, and we thank you for the word. And I pray, Father, I know for me, this was an especially appropriate word, an especially important word for me to hear this week as I studied this week. And I pray, Father, that for each of us, given our uh, the times that we live in, that this would be an important word for all of us to hear. And so, Lord, use this time to mold us and shape us evermore into the image of your Son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So if you're a note-taker, a central idea today is that we are to subject ourselves to governing authorities. We are to subject ourselves to governing authorities. Paul begins the passage with a very straightforward and easy-to-understand command. And yes, friends, it is a command. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I want to make four brief observations about that command before we get any further into the message. First, as I've already said, it is a command. And furthermore, it's a present tense command. And what that means in the Greek language, when, when you have a present tense command, it means it's something that we are to continue doing. It's something we do regularly. It's not something that we, we do once and we say, okay, I've, I've fulfilled that, I've done that. But this is something we continue to submit. We keep on submitting ourselves to the governing authorities. That's Paul's point. Second, it's a command for every person. In other words, this isn't something only Christians are to do. This is something that every person is supposed to do. Now, to be sure, only Christians are going to read the book of Romans and take this as authoritative in any way in our lives. So your your average non-Christian isn't going to go, "Well, well, there you have it. If Paul said it in Romans, then therefore I have to do it. That's not going to happen, but that makes little difference for us today because I'm speaking to a group of Christians today, to people who are saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And so it's good for societies at large when every citizen submits to the governing authorities. And not only is it good for societies at large, it's good for us individually as well. It's good for our own soul, for our own conscience. Third, the governing authorities are just who they sound like they would be. So here in Charles County, Maryland, they would be our local government, the county council. They would be our state government. They would be our federal government. In Paul's case, he would have been talking about the government of the Roman Empire. Fourth and finally, to what extent is Paul saying that we submit to these governing authorities? Is this a universal submission? Is he giving the government, if you will, a blank check and we submit to them no matter what they have to say? Well, We'll look at that point a little more closely toward the end of the message. And so don't, don't check out on me halfway through the message. Make sure you stick around to the end because uh, we want to address that sincerely right at the end. And so I have seven points that I want to make from this message. First, most of them are in the form of questions. First point is, uh, why are we to subject ourselves to governing authorities? 
Why do we do this? The opening phrase tells us that we are to do it. There's no question about that. But why are we in submission? Paul answers that as well in verse 1. Look with me there at the latter half of verse 1. He says, For there is no authority except from God. And those, meaning authorities, those that exist have been instituted by God. And so the reason we submit to our governing authorities is because God has all, is the one who is ultimately responsible for putting that authority into place. That's the plain reading of verse 1. Paul wants us to know that God is sovereign over every aspect of this world, and not only over every aspect of the world, that God is also sovereign over our individual lives as well. And He's sovereign over those He places into governing positions. And so maybe you don't like your county council person. Maybe you don't like your state representative. Maybe you don't like the person who's sitting in the White House. I've got some Christian advice for you. Here's my advice for you. Get over yourself. Alright? Because the individual who occupies that office, he or she sits in that chair because God put them there. That individual is there to accomplish God's will. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Consider some of the stories of the Old Testament and New Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we read about pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Darius, among others. God used them. Do you think it surprised God when the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C.? Do you think God was like, oh, I didn't see that happening. No, of course not. That didn't surprise God. Or do you think it surprised God when the Babylonians destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah 136 years later in 586 B.C.? Again, no, it didn't, it didn't surprise God. And when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, he's writing it while Nero is the emperor of the Roman Empire. We're talking about late 50s in the first century. Now, the official persecution of Christians hasn't begun yet. It won't begin for about another decade when Paul is, or actually a little bit less than a decade when Paul is writing this letter. But, but don't think that Nero was a fan of Christians even prior to the persecution beginning. He wasn't a fan. Yet Paul tells us, he's telling the church that exists in Rome, in the capital city of Rome, he's telling them, be subject to the governing authorities. Here's my point. We don't subject ourselves to the governing authorities because we like them. We subject ourselves to them because it's the right thing to do. It's what we've been commanded to do. Point number two. What happens when we refuse to subject ourselves to them. So even though we've been commanded to submit ourselves to them, we, we still live in a world where we, where we wage battle against sin in the flesh. And let's be frank, sometimes sin wins and we don't do what God has commanded us to do. And so what happens when we sin and we don't submit to the governing authorities as God has commanded us to? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 2. Look with me there at verse 2. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, once again, here in verse 2, Paul is stressing the point, 
the point that these authorities have been appointed by God. That's why they're there. And then very clearly he tells us what to expect if we resist those authorities. In a word, judgment. Judgment. Now, we know from verse 5, and we'll get there in just a moment, that this judgment Paul's talking about, it's God's judgment. It's God's wrath against our sin. But that got me to wondering this week, I, you know, I said, well, how is that judging us? Like, is God going to judge us, if you will? Um, is, it, is it going to be this, the final judgment? And then we're going to, you know, God is going to lay the wood on us, so to speak, in the final judgment? Or is, is it more going to be that the governing authorities themselves judge us? I think it's more of the latter. I think God, but I think God is going to use the modern day government to bring that judgment on us. Now you might wonder, how is that going to work? So I thought about this, this as an example. Suppose you're about to turn 18 years old. That means you need to sign up for the selective service system. If, if you're a male, you need to sign up for it. Um, there, there's been some talk about women having to do it as well, but right now it's only for men. So young man, you've been... You just turn 18, you decide, I'm not going to sign up for the selective service system. I'm not going to do it. I just, that's not going to do it. So what's going to happen to you? Well, for starters, uh, I hope you have enough money to go to college on your own because you're not eligible for any federal student loans. Okay, you can't have it. You're not eligible uh, if you fail to sign up. You're also not eligible for any federal training nor for a federal job. And so you might think, oh, okay, I wouldn't work, plan to work for the government anyways. Um, well, so to... If, if that's not enough deterrent to top it all off, you are liable to a $250,000 fine in five years in prison. Okay? That, my friends, is judgment. Okay? You didn't do what the law required, and now you're being judged. And you might say, well, but I'm a pacifist. I don't, I don't believe in war. Well, there are, there are alternatives to serving in the military that can be, be explored in the event that an actual military draft happens but refusing to sign up for the selective service, that's not an option. So when we refuse to do what the government requires, and again, let me add that this is a government that's been appointed by God himself. When we refuse to do what that government requires, judgment will await us. Point number three. So what is the role then? What, what, what purpose does government serve? What is the role of these governing authorities? You know, sometimes we carry around with us the idea that government, government's out to get us. Yeah, I mean, so we want to be very cautious about government. And, and to be sure, listen, government is made up of people and people are sinful. So we can all come up with examples of how government has actually indeed in the past and maybe even into the present overstepped their role and they've persecuted or attacked individuals or different groups. So we can come up with those ideas. I want us to hold that, if you will, in check for just a moment. I'll come back to that when we, when we talked about the role, like when is it okay for a Christian to say, no, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But for right now, I want to focus on, in generally speaking, government's role in our lives. We see this in verses 3 and 4. Look with me there at verses 3 and 4, please. Um, Paul writes, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out the wrath, or carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That word rulers there in verse 3, it's, it's synonymous with authorities throughout the rest of the passage. And so what, what's the role of a ruler? What's the role of this authority? First, 
First, notice Paul says that the rulers aren't there. They're not there to be a terror to good conduct, but to bad conduct. In other words, if you're doing the right thing, you're obeying the law, you're doing the right thing, you don't have anything to worry about. It's kind of like when you're driving down the interstate and you know there's a, like a speed trap ahead and all of a sudden people are, you know, they're doing 20 mile an hour over the speed limit and all of a sudden you see the brake like, and the people slow down to like 15 miles below the speed limit. Well, if you were just doing the right speed limit, you don't have anything to worry about, right? You just, just cruise right on through. You know, in the last 20 years or so, governmental use of surveillance equipment, it's just increased significantly. Uh, so much so that people, well, it's, a, it's an invasion of my privacy. That they, that they have all these cameras everywhere. And, and to be sure, there are examples of governments who use this surveillance equipment in an improper way. China, for example, is a key example of this. They're particularly notorious about it. But for the most part, and you might, you might think I'm naive in saying this, but for the most part, if you're not doing anything wrong, you really don't have anything to worry about by a camera watching you, right? I have some friends who are in law enforcement I've had uh, lunch with them at, from time to time. And they've told me, they said, listen, they said, Brian, I am, I am far too busy trying to catch the bad guy than to worry about what you're doing when you're you know, going out to lunch. I, I, I don't care what you're doing when you're going. I'm, you know, I'm using those cameras to catch bad guys. So unless you're a bad guy, you don't really have to worry about those cameras. That's Paul's point there in verse 3. The authorities aren't a terror to good conduct, but to bad. who's committed a capital offense, but we as individuals, we don't have that authority. This is one of the things that made the Ahmad Arbery shooting last February. It's only been a year. Last February in Georgia, it made it so egregious. Those men who ultimately shot Arbery were taking vigilante justice into their own hands, and they don't have the power or authority. They don't have the God-given power of authority. Government does. They don't. And so if, if we're doing something wrong then we need to be in fear, the Bible says. The government serves, and I quote, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so here, here's a biblical example of that principle. Think about with me the Old Testament book of Esther. In that book, Esther's cousin, a man named Mordecai, learns about a plot to kill the king. And so Mordecai gets word back to the king about the plot. The king who has the power of the sword, he investigates... Finds out, sure enough, Mordecai's on the up and up. He's telling the right story. And the, the guys who were planning on killing the king were executed. That's the latter half of verse 4. They had, they had reason to fear because the government had the power to kill them. And what happens to Mordecai? Well, ultimately, what happens to Mordecai is Mordecai is elevated to the second highest position in the kingdom. That's the latter half of verse 3, right? That That... He, he receives what is good because he did the right thing. You see, the government is there for our good. The government's there to keep us safe. So you might not like the posted speed limit sign, but that speed limit sign is there to keep you safe and to keep others safe. Or you might not like a particular building code, but at least in theory, that building code is there to keep you safe and the person who buys your house after you keep them safe. Government is not a terror to good conduct but to bad conduct. That's the point of government. Point number four. So what happens when we refuse to submit to them? You say, well, didn't, what, didn't you already do that one? Yeah, that was point two, but we're doing it again. See there, part two. And so the reason we're doing it again, look at verse five with me. In verse five, Paul repeats the need that we're to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And then he says this, and I quote, 
not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So not only to avoid God's wrath, that goes back to that reference I made earlier in point number two, that that the judgment that's coming is God's judgment. It's God's wrath. But then he adds, but also for the sake of conscience. Now what's he getting at with that? that? Also for the sake of conscience. Here's what I believe he's saying. He's telling us that if we're believers, then we should recognize that government in general, and I'm not making any comment here about any particular type of government, I'm just government in general is given to us for our good and for God's glory. Therefore, if we deliberately refuse to submit to those governing authorities, then we're actually, as Christians, we're sinning against our own conscience since God is the one who put them in a position, and we know that. And so our Christian conscience tells us that we have a moral obligation to submit to our governing authorities. And beloved, let me just add this. It's not wise, it's not, it's not wise, it's not helpful to sin against your conscience. I'll say much more about the Christian conscience when we get to chapter 14 of Romans in just a couple of weeks. But know this for right now, it's not wise, not helpful to sin against your own conscience. Point number five. What's the role of these governing authorities? Again, you say that you didn't. Well, this is part two. So Paul, Paul is structuring this where he, he, he goes through it and then he says, well, let me repeat these ideas again. And so he's giving us further warning about what happens when we submit, refuse to submit to these governing authorities. Look with me in verse six. He says, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. That word for there at the beginning of verse 6 is closely linking it with verse 5. And so we don't want to sin against our conscience, so we pay taxes. Is his point. And what's more, these authorities, they're actually ministers of God who attend to this very thing, namely the collection of taxes. Now, can we be straight with one another? We don't like paying taxes. Uh, I've never met somebody, I've never met an individual who says, I just love paying taxes. All right, that person, for all practical purposes, doesn't exist. Now, if you love paying taxes, you can come. Maybe next week we'll set up a time where you can give a little testimony about how much you love paying taxes. And God bless you. Uh, so we generally, we don't like paying taxes, but that doesn't mean that paying taxes is illegitimate from a Christian perspective. It's actually quite legitimate. And Paul makes the case that not only is it legitimate, it's a necessary thing. You see, the people of the Roman Empire, they would have known a thing or two about paying taxes. And if you have a job... Or if you receive a retirement check or some, some kind of check, you know something as well about paying taxes. And so we might not like paying taxes, but it's legitimate. It's a good thing for the government to do. Now, of course, we can, we can have discussions and we ought to have discussions about the amount of taxes we pay. And, and certainly we can have discussions about the government's role in being proper stewards over those taxes. You know, it's how, the, how are they spending that money? That those are all legitimate discussions. But the levying of taxes in general. So the role of government is to, to levy taxes. That's a God-given role that they have. So here's a point of application for you. April 15th is two months from tomorrow. Be ready to file your taxes. Okay? And, you say, and as you do so, just remember, I'm doing my Christian duty. God bless you, right? Point number six. What does our submission to these governing authorities look like? So what does what what our submission look like? In verse 7, 
Paul tells us, we pay all, we pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And so what's our role? Our role is to pay. That's our role. It's, it's a word, by the way, of command. Again, we pay to all whatever is owed to them. First, he says, we pay our taxes. And for the record, Jesus himself tells us to render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, and we render unto God that which belongs to God. And so we pay our taxes. But we pay both in direct taxes as well as indirect taxes. That's the difference between these two words here where he says you pay taxes to whom taxes owed and revenue to whom revenue is owed. The difference between taxes and revenue is the former is a direct tax, whereas the latter is an indirect tax. And so in our system of government, a property tax, for example, would be a direct tax. That would be the taxes there. And a sales tax would be an indirect tax. That would be the revenue in this passage. And so we pay taxes. Whether, whether they're classified as taxes or revenue, we pay them. We pay taxes to whom taxes owe, and we pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. We don't try to cheat the government. We'll take every legal deduction that we can to pay as little taxes as we can, but we don't cheat. We pay our taxes. So these first two things, they refer to, if you will, a financial payment. The second two ideas refer to something I'll call a relational payment. So we pay respect to whom respect is owed. The, the idea, the word behind respect, in some of your English Bibles will even say fear there. And frankly, that's a better word here. For, from the original Greek, fear is a better word, but it means fear as in respect. So for example, the Bible tells us that we're to fear the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to cower before God and, and that we're supposed to be so afraid of God that we, that, we, that we don't want to ask Him anything, but rather it means that we have a reverential fear before God. Similarly, with respect to governing authorities, we're to have a reverential fear to them. Or as the next point says, we're to honor them. So if you're standing before the local magistrate to argue a speeding ticket, I've been there, okay? You're standing there before the magistrate to argue a speeding ticket, it would behoove you, it'd be in your benefit to refer to the magistrate as your honor right? Or maybe even before you get to, get to the point of getting the speeding ticket, you just get pulled, pulled over by the police officer that he's a governmental official, right? And maybe you avoid the, all, the ticket altogether if you simply show some respect and honor to the police officer and answer, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, perhaps. Now, maybe you get the ticket anyways, but my, so I'm not, I'm not saying that we res- show respect and hopefully that I won't get in trouble. That, that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying, right, this should be the pattern of our lives, that we show respect. We should be mindful. So when you get on Twitter and you don't like something that former President Trump did or you don't like something that current President Biden did, be mindful about how you're talking about that individual. They're the president. Now, I'm not saying that they're a god, okay? They, they make mistakes. We don't bow down and worship them, but we show honor and we show respect is what we do. Now to my final point is... Is there a limit to the submission of these governing authorities? And this is not directly from the text. This is more just um, implications from the text. So is Paul suggesting that the government can really, they can can ask us to do whatever they want us to do and we have to submit? Is that what Paul is suggesting here? 
and from the greater from the greater comet of Scripture or the, the, the whole counsel of Scripture, that's not at all what Paul is saying. So we could just consider the example of Peter and John. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are told that they need to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And, and this, is, this is how Acts 4 records what happens. Acts 4, 4, uh, Acts 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, they're just saying, Okay, hey, you can throw us in prison, you can do whatever you want to do, but we're going to continue speaking the name of Jesus. That's the only thing we can do. We also have an example from Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel knew that an edict had been signed that forbade him from praying. And so what does Daniel do? He goes up in his room, he opens the window so that everybody can see what he's doing, and he prays. Now, in both of those cases, they both had to experience judgment for disobeying. In Peter and John's case, it was at that time a relatively minor, it was a, a further tongue lashing from the high council. But in Daniel's case, it was a night in the lion's den. And so when we fail to obey the government, we will likely have to pay consequences. And we need to be ready for that. And so what are some categories for us as Christians living here in the 21st century? What are some categories for us when we say under these conditions, yes, it's a good thing and a proper thing to disobey the government? And so I'm going to have three categories for you. And I'm, I want to suggest under the first two, I hope we can all agree under the first two. The third one, though, is more um, yeah, where, where, where there might be some disagreement in the room about that. Category one, I hope we can all agree that it's okay to be disobedient if the government commands us not to do something that the Bible commands us to do. The government says you may not do that, but the Word of God says you must do that. The example I just shared from Daniel a moment ago is an excellent example. He's, he's told, you're, you're not allowed to pray to God for this period of time. You're not allowed to do it. But Daniel, he understood that prayer is the lifeblood of following God. And so Daniel deliberately disobeyed that order. And he was thrown into the lion's den. Now for the record, the, thrown into the lion's den, that was, a, that was tantamount to a death penalty sentence. But Daniel didn't care. He says, I'm, you know, okay, you throw me in the lion's den, but... I, I'm still going to pray. Now, of course, we know the end of the story that Daniel, uh, that the Lord saves Daniel. He closes the mouth of the lions. But Daniel was willing to pay that consequence. He was willing to do that because he says, God has told me that I need to pray. Here's a modern example. Uh, most of us don't get thrown into, pan, uh, into lion's den. So here's a modern example. Uh, suppose there's a pandemic happening. We, we might know a thing or two of that. And we're told that we are not allowed to gather to worship at church. But people in your same geographic area, they're allowed to gather and go to, say, a local casino. Now, praise God, listen, this hasn't happened here in Maryland. We'll be very clear, Governor Hogan has been very even-handed in, in how he has applied the COVID-19 regulations to religious organizations as well as to businesses. He's been very even-handed with that. But in other states, this example, I'm actually sharing from the headlines, this has actually happened in other parts of our country. Now, remember, the government has, they have a, their role, part of their role is to protect us. And so, because that's their role, I do believe that the government has a compelling interest 
in establishing guidelines during a pandemic. That's part of their job. But those guidelines have to be equally applied to all. So it's not as what, you know, rules for thee and not for me. Again, Governor Hogan's done a good job with this. But suppose you're living in another state where the governor says, where they're not playing fair. And, you know, churches, you're not allowed to meet, but these other businesses are allowed to meet. Well, personally, I know of some pastors who have actually taken the local government to court. And they've actually won their case in court. You see, we've been commanded to gather together. Hebrews 10 is very clear on that, that we're not to forsake our assembling together. And so the government would have to show a compelling reasons why churches can't gather while others can gather. And generally speaking, governments haven't been able to do that. So category one, we're told, you know, we're, we're told not to do something that the Bible tells us to do. Category two, and again, I hope all of us would agree on this, that it's okay to resist the governing authorities when they command us to do something that the Bible says we're not to do. So this is, if you will, just the opposite. So in the first one, we're told not to do something the Bible tells us to do. Here we're told not or to do something that the Bible tells us not to do. Here's another example from the book of Daniel. You've heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're told to bow down and worship the golden image. This, of course, would have been a blatant violation of the second commandment, and so they refuse to do that. They're, they're, they're not going to do it. And this infuriates Nebuchadnezzar, and consequently they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and God rescues them through the form of a fourth man in the fire. Here's a modern example. Maybe you work in the healthcare profession, as some of our members do, and you're told that you must, must assist in performing an elective abortion. That is, so an abortion, not because the mother's life is genuinely in, in danger or anything like that, just because she doesn't want to be pregnant anymore. You must participate in this abortion. And if you don't, when you go clean out your locker, you're out of a job. You're going home. You're done. What do you do? Well, if you believe what the Bible teaches, you know that that baby in the mother's womb is a living person. And it would be murder to kill that baby. And so I hope, I'm not saying this would be an easy decision, but I hope that you would then say, you know, if killing that baby means losing my job, then I'm willing to lose my job over this okay both of these first categories category one category two straight line issues now by straight line and by the way i didn't come up with that language of straight line a much smarter person a guy named jonathan lehman came up with that language but you can draw a line straight from the this is what the bible says and it's a straight line issue so there's there's no really interpretive judgment it's a straight line issue the third category i want to introduce is more of a jagged line um where there might be uh value judgments or interpretive judgments and so this is my this third category might be where some of us in the room go yeah maybe i would do this or maybe i wouldn't do this so here's an example of a jagged line issue where the government might tell you you have to do something suppose you look you work for the local government and your department wherever you work has a goal for 2021 that you're going to hire um, at least one transgender individual to work in your department. Now, is transgenderism a sin? Yes, it is a sin. It's a failure to recognize the goodness of God's design in making us male and female. But at the same time, we also recognize that those who identify as transgender, that they're, they're men and women, they're created in the image of God, 
And so because they're created in the image of God, they have dignity, they have worth, they need a job so that they can support themselves. All right? Now, for some Christians, it may be too great a hurdle to overcome to actually hire and then work with somebody who's openly identifies as stranger. You might say, I just, I just can't do that. And if you're the one responsible for hiring, you may lose your job if you refuse to hire that individual. And you have to be willing to say, okay, I'm willing to lose my job. On the other hand, some of you may, you may sincerely disagree with that person's self-identification, but you recognize that you could still work with that individual. And so this would be a situation where you're saying, yeah, I could, I could do what the government is telling me to do. Again, this third point is some Christians feel compelled by Christian conscience to do one thing, while others by Christian conscience feel compelled to do another thing. But in each of these Christian, each of these categories, we need to be ready. We need to be ready to suffer the consequences if we fail to submit to the governing authorities. Because, back to the original, um, to, the, to the opening phrase, the opening command, let every person be in subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so God has given us a government, and the government is there for our good. And so we submit to them. And if we don't submit to them, we're ready to pay the consequences for failing to submit to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our time and we thank you that even with the uh, interference with the power for, for a moment or two there in the middle of our service, uh, Father, we thank you for the time that we've had to gather and I'm not sure of those who are able to gather back online, those who are at home, uh, but Father, we just pray that you would um, strengthen us and encourage us, help us, Father, as uh, your servants, as your children, help us to, to, to recognize the importance that you have taught us in your word of submission to, to governing authorities. Lord, that we would submit in every case when we, when we know it is right. And Lord, that you would also give us wisdom to know uh, the categories when, when, when we would have to say, no, on that issue, I cannot submit for my conscience is bound by the word of God. And your word teaches uh, contrary to what the government is asking me to do. And so, Lord, help us uh, in that capacity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing passage for us today. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.